Hello, and welcome to another edition of Modest Conversations. I'm here with an old colleague of mine, Sri Ramkrishnan, who most recently was running monetization ads products at Snap. Um, before that, we were colleagues at Facebook. And, you know, you've been a lot of places. You were at Microsoft before that. So. I've, I've been, like, all over. Awesome. Yes. And so now you, uh, you're, I hear, looking for an internship. Yes. And <laughs> this is going to be an application for an internship at the information. So, uh, I don't know, like, maybe, if, you know, uh, if Jessica decides to fire you or if there's... <laughs> wow, no- that's aggressive. Can, 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 there can be multiple interns. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I want your spot. Oh, man. All right. Well, this will be an interesting competitive cooperative interview then we should have a poll at the end of this like who deserves an information internship <laughs> this might actually happen in the comments anyway well i'll make sure that jessica at least sees it so it's fair but um but i do think i have a few things in my favor so we'll have to see so if other people you know want to offer you internships this would be a good time there's so much nepotism in the, in the media industry <laughs> indeed there is um well anyway listen it's great to see you and uh and i'm really excited for this modest conversation um what do you want to talk about uh, well, thanks for having me. I don't, uh, we had a preparatory conversation before this and we talked about how we haven't met in almost two years. So yeah, this it's been is a while. A, this is a lot of fun. Uh, so I left my, you know, job at Snap a couple of months ago and in the grand tradition of Silicon Valley, I've been spending a lot of time tweeting, um, and writing pontificatory blog posts. I don't and, know anyone else who does that. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all, right? Uh, and so, and, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a tweet which got a lot of attention. That sounds like such a Silicon Valley phrase to say, I wrote a tweet which got so much attention, but which basically said that if you want to compete with a large platform company, uh, a good way to do so uh, is to go build something that they can't measure. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of people beat me up. They were like, wow, Sriram, that sounds like one of those things which sounds great and pithy and deep, but that doesn't actually mean anything. Well, you only had 140 characters. I know. <laughs> right. Uh, we need like a longer post from Twitter. Uh, so, you know, I took it upon myself to write a post and, uh, you know, and the post I wrote was something about how building things that people can't measure. And the thought process around this is like something I've been thinking about for a while, which is I believe a bunch of uh, every large company picks metrics to run on yeah. um, and to, to run their business, to motivate teams, to align the fund under, fundamental goals of the company yep. with the day-to-day operations. Yep. And this spans uh, the whole gamut. If you are, say, a media company, you might measure yourself on revenue, on clicks. Uh, if you're someone like, you know, like an Uber, you measure yourself on trips and like how people are satisfied. Uh, and there's a whole gamut of metrics that people measure themselves on. And what I've sometimes noticed is after a while, especially in law, as companies grow larger and systems get more complicated, yep. the metrics that you use to measure and motivate and run teams on start drifting away from the underlying human behavior they're yep. trying to capture or the human behavior trying to incentivize. Yep. And I think that's what creates one, risk if you're the incumbent as one of these large companies, but two, also opportunity. Yeah. If, but because if you are an insurgent, if you are like, you know, two people in a garage building away on something, if you can spot this thing, which your largest competitor who has dominant market share and who has like billions of dollars yeah. is not able to measure yeah. or their metrics is explicitly telling them to optimize against, yeah. that's your entry point. So yeah. I wrote a longer, more pontificatory blog post, uh, on this topic. Yeah. And and yeah, and I think that that's been something I've been thinking about quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting, I mean, concept and way to think about the world, right? And it's something that I remember when I was um, when I was younger, um, I was like extremely anti 
metrics for startups for basically the same the exact reason you were saying, which is I was like, look, you know, you have to find something that someone else isn't measuring. And you have, if you are too much of a slave to the metrics, you miss the forest from the tree. You, you have nothing. To- and I actually always felt that like metrics were just way too constraining. It's like, if you're early in a journey, like you just want to like think about what's good and explore. And it's funny because in my, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've become like really into metrics. Right. Um, interestingly. And the, the story has been, and this is, this is why I think it's a good conversation to have is like, I realized that I came to this realization, which is like metrics are pretty freeing. Like the reason that big companies like pick metrics, right. Is because if you have a large structure and you have people reporting to people reporting to people, I mean, metrics, like, you know, ultimately the economy, but like metrics mm-hmm. on top of it, like basically it doesn't constrain you. It actually says that cool, as long as this number goes up, you're winning. So be as free as you want to make that number go up. Right. Um, with the resources you have is like a very cool framework, but I think you're right that like different companies, and it could be big companies, it could be small companies, you kind of, by choosing your metrics, you're choosing your destiny, mm-hmm. and you can't choose all things, mm-hmm. right? Um, right, and so one the one of the pieces of writing that inspired my post is actually from your co-founder, yeah. uh, uh, Andrew Cortina, who has an excellent blog post that I highly recommend checking out, and I stole most of the good ideas from that post. <laughs> um, and I think his original titles for his blog post was going to be the tyranny of metrics under capitalism or yep. something like that, right? Um, and, you know, I think, you know, uh, if you work with me for any period of time, you'll often hear me quote something called Goodhart's Law. Mm-hmm. And Goodhart's Law states that the moment you pick a measure to be a metric, it ceases to be a useful measure of anything. Mm-hmm. Which is another way of saying the moment you decide to measure something and you goal people or teams against it, uh, human behavior and incentives stop that being a good measure of things. Uh, like a classic example. Uh, it almost sounds like the Schrodinger's cat of metrics. Yes, actually, I've used that analogy all the time because the mo- uh, it's like the, the Schrodinger's cat version of you know corporate culture, yeah. which is the moment you pick a thing, you know, that is no longer that thing. Yeah. Uh, and this, by the way, it, it applies not only to like businesses, but in like, you know, places way outside on the social spectrum. For example, the classic example, and I believe Cortina quotes this in his post is, yeah, think about education. Yeah. You know, we all want uh, our children to have great holistic education and you want to pick a metric to, you know, optimize for that, right? Because sometime you have finite resources, you have, you know, people management and you want to know, okay, when I'm dealing with this one school or teacher, how do I allocate resources? How do I make my day-to-day decisions? And like, like you said, metrics are often like necessary to make those fundamental day-to-day operational decisions. But what- and in fairness, I mean, there's a lot of ways in which metrics, again, which has been the interesting evolution in my feeling of them. It's also how you free people, right? If you tell the teacher in theory, if you right. have the right metric, hey, look, you know, experiment, do whatever you think is best. This is the number that I want to go up right? Right, but I versus think micro- having needing to micromanage. But, but I think right? here's the challenge, which I think... And this, by the way, there's going to be a lot of cliches and platitudes on this podcast. Just well, there you know. never have been before. So oh, yeah. wow. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, we we just, only deal in cliches and platitudes. We should call this like an immodest conversation. I think the name's the Well, that's kind of a joke. Uh, but, um, you know, it, I think human behavior is fundamentally hard to model as a metric. Um, because, for example, in education, like the moment you pick a test score yeah. as a number to go measure against, people start teaching the test. Sure. And you get this weird incentive loop, uh, this cycle of destruction where you're like, wait, wait, I didn't actually want teachers to just teach a test. I want my kids to have a wholesome education. Sure. Uh, and this happens in corporate America all but, the time. Yeah, I, I get it. But yeah. my question to you is like, 
in the end of the day, if you think about like how we even communicate, right? right? And like the forms of communication, I say, I want my kid to have a wholesome education. I'm like, okay, cool. Define that. Define that. Define that. You say, you keep saying define, define, define. Ultimately, like numbers are our most, I feel like in some ways objective. So they're not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Because when I, when you say define what a wholesome education is, we'll get to a point, right? Where like, if I, I can't articulate what that metric is, and then you say to me, okay, cool, well, I can't really build this thing if you don't right. tell me what it is, because you don't seem to know what it is. Right, right. I, mean, I mean, metrics, um, uh, this is not really an argument against metrics, right? <laughs> because you, like, metrics give you a lot of good things. First, you know, they give you a scorecard, yep. because otherwise you have no idea how we're doing. They give you something to iterate on, to, and to know whether you're failing or succeeding. They gives you something to motivate people on. Yeah. It just tells you, like, how you're doing and anything you're doing. Uh, I think challenges that, you know, pretty much human behavior uh, often perverts those metrics and sure. takes them in a direction which you did not intend right. to. Right. Well, you have to assume it's kind of like the good old, um, you know, silly, uh, you know, AI thing about, you know, if you optimize the machine for making paperclips, mm-hmm. right? And there's a size that, you know, well, I need to optimize paperclips. I need more energy. I'll drag the black hole over. I'll kill all the people. But I did get you more paperclips, right? Is <laughs> like, you know, you have to be very clear. You have to understand the implications of the metrics you chose at the extreme. Right. And I think the other challenges is like the metrics themselves really drive a lot of this. So, for example, people often pick metrics that they can actually measure. So I come from the ad world, right? You know, and at the end of the day, what people are trying to do in the ad world is like, I'm spending money on this ad and will this make people go buy more of my stuff? More ads? Right? Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, you mean? <laughs> no, no, will this make people go buy, you know, more Coke or go, you know, book my airline when they're thinking of like booking a trip next? But the problem is you can't measure uh, to the exact level of specific detail how, what sort of emotional reaction that sure. a human being have. Sure. So you wind up using a proxy metric. And I think that's where the real risk well, is. Well, and that's the point. Is, and this is what I push you on in your thing because I agree with you, but I think we, it's important to be careful on terms is, I mean, the ad industry, right, um, there are all sorts of arguments about what the right metrics are. There's last click attribution. There's first click mm-hmm. attribution. There's all, you know, you can go on and on and on. There's incredible branding budget spent on convincing other people that their version of the metrics, which advantages them, is the right version of the metrics to spend against right, and get ROI against. Right? And so the question in my mind is, to your point, is when you start making decisions about what those metrics are that you optimize for and then marketing what the right metrics are, both internally and externally, it's almost certainly true that it's not actually the right metric. It's to your point, it's what's easy to measure. And the question is, what's the gap between what's easy to measure, what's easy to articulate, what's easier to go around, and what truth is? Right? Yes, and I think that's where both risk lies if you're the you know the existing incumbent, and that's also where opportunity lies if yeah. you are a new person. Yeah, uh, and so- to be clear, we're definitely not talking about Snapchat and Facebook. Right? <laughs> uh, 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 I will plead the fifth on that. Uh, um, so it. I think, so, so for example, one of classic examples from just our tech industry, right? So uh, where, you know, if you go back to Google versus the existing portal companies of the day, the existing portal companies of the day, you know, for multiple reasons, business model versus and just what is easy to measure, optimized for time spent, optimized for engagement on site. Yes. Actually? Yes. So could they even measure time spent? Well, they they <laughs> kind of they optimize for like page loads. Well, they, that is a proxy for time spent, right? <laughs> Which was like you were but, spending time. But on let us. me just push you on this because this is an important point. Is like measuring time spent is actually quite difficult, right? And like, there's no way the Yahoo circa whatever actually could measure time spent. They probably were measuring, and again, I'm speaking out of turn mm-hmm. per usual. They were almost certainly measuring something like 
page loads. Yes, but that was right? a proxy for people are staying with us. No, I get that. But this is the interesting point, which is that was a really bad proxy. Mm-hmm. Right. If they had actually been measuring time spent, they actually, might have actually gotten a different No, answer. I actually think even if they're measuring time spent, it you was, know, yeah, it was it, the wrong thing. It was the wrong thing to measure because what Google figured out was the thing to optimize for was utility. The idea that value actually showing someone the answer they were seeking. That That is true. But just to push you on this, if you look across the internet landscape, Google definitely figured out and took real advantage of search is not a time spent game for sure. Many large internet companies now are absolutely focused on time spent. Netflix, Facebook, I could name many, right, that are very dogmatically focused on time spent, right? So in theory, if you unwind the clock and said Yahoo, it wasn't about page loads. They really were properly focused on time spent. Would Mm -hmm. they have become a different company? Well, actually, let me push you on your pushing of me, which is, uh, (laughs) so one of the theories I have is uh, there is often metrics become culturally accepted dogma. And I think it's culturally accepted now that you optimize for time spent. So, uh, and one of the things I've been really curious about recently is, do you know Tristan Harris, the the ex-Googler yes, philosopher. Yep. Uh, uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm sure he would love you describing that. It's a cool title. I want that title. Yes, I want the title. Right? Uh, by the way, we should have a separate podcast on interesting titles. Uh, <laughs> and so one of the things that Tristan talks about is, you know, are we spending way too much time on you know, the social media products and that the, we use every single day? And the answer, I think, among basically everyone is yes, absolutely. Right. So, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there somewhere where... And by the way... There is, but, but I've actually had this. I had this debate with him many years ago. Um, I agree with him, but here's the challenge with, at least as far as I know, his thinking on this. Like, I have my phone literally set to black and white to make it less distracting. Like, I, I get it. Um, but you just gave me a scowl, which is pretty funny. But the, um, so I, I get it, but here's the problem I think he faces, which is what is the metric, right? If you, if he could articulate in my mind a metric, right, that you could then drive towards and ideally had value attached to it, I think he'd have a much easier time than just pointing out what is true but unmeasurable, right, which is it would be great to spend less time on it. I mean, you know, Finn is actually a play. One of the things Cortina and I started with is, like, we want to use our phones less. We talk about that all the time. Um, but we also have a framework for monetizing you using your phone less. Well, first of all, I think uh, Tristan's ideas, which are about, you know, you spending less time on, you know, some of these social media products and being more holistic about how they impact your health or yeah. your wellness. Uh, the one fundamental challenge there is that it's really hard. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't match how we monetize these products. That's today, exactly right? right. Which is mostly through time spent. It's usually through attention. Right. Um, but, you know, except I, for products like the information and thin and like a lot of the stuff that, frankly, my wife and I are pretty interested in. <laughs> Uh, uh, just a subtle little plug there. Um, but you know, I think if you look at, uh, you know, but, but I think if you look at like other industries, like there have been lots of precedent where an upstart newcomer has figured out as an underlying human behavior, uh, which you can't measure. And often it taken a while to kind of put a number on it. Um, but that was their entry point. Like, for example, like if you think about the original days of Zappos, uh, pretty much every retailer before them, uh, to some extent, even now, optimized against returns you know the idea was returns were a bad thing you had cultural organizational incentives to stop returns and it was really zappos who took this idea and said okay actually how do we actually make returns a core part of the buying process and actually make it easier sure so you know i would challenge you on the the fact that he does not have a metric doesn't mean that there's no value just means that we don't have a metric but but zappos did have a metric sales Right. Like in the end of the day, in the, their, their hypothesis was, and again, slightly out of turn per usual, mm. was that by making the customer service experience incredible, 
they could see a correlation and a connection behind Dragon's Zelda. And it might be on day one that was a hunch, mm-hmm. not proven. But sometimes, right? sometimes I think that's a challenge with metrics, which is people pick a metric which is short-term, where there's an underlying more healthy metric which expands over much longer uh, time frame. Yeah, yeah. Like in, in the ad world, for example, one common thing to do is if a smart advertisers try and find a channel which other people can't measure very well, yeah. but you know that over a span of a year or two, there's a real value. Like, sure. for example, one trend which I see happening today is podcasts, yeah. where a lot of classic advertisers, uh, but this is not a plug for people to spend spend money with Sam, but, you know... Uh, I don't even know how to add ads to this. I would if I could. <laughs> we should talk just as a Just uh, as a joke. <laughs> Uh, uh, but we could, we could make literally dollars. <laughs> uh, well, actually, so I've been talking to a bunch of advertisers, and there's two camps. One are like they look at podcasts and they're like, "This doesn't work with any of my existing metrics." That's right. And there are others who, either out of instinct and intuition, or out of having really long-term models, are able to say, "Actually, if I spend some money now, I'm able to have some fancy math and I'm able to correlate these numbers with these other sets of numbers and actually figure out the underlying value." Well, yeah, and I think the other challenge, which you know better than I do, as as an ads man. Is that a card ads man? Oh, come on, it's Don Draper. It's very nice. It's a compliment. Is uh, you know, again, like, there's a very stark difference between people who are looking for real opportunities, right, to actually get their brand out. You know, CEOs, operators, things like that, versus ad agencies, and then like in terms of in, versus experimental budgets versus scalable budgets. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is like you know, the 24 year old doing some programmatic buying at the end of their workday who just needs to spend as much money as possible to make their ad agency as much money as possible isn't going to be really very incentivized to go out and find the new mediums, right? Sure. Versus, I mean, and that's where the real scale dollars is, right? Yes, but I think, you know, I'm actually making a slightly different point, which is when at a macro level, let's say you're an advertiser and, you know, you're a completely rational organization and you're trying to figure out if I spend a dollar, how do I get a dollar back? And you have a choice of either spending it on a digital format, you know, you can spend it on, you know, Google, Facebook, Snap, Twitter, any one of these guys, you can spend it on TV, you can spend it on print, and you have different levels of measuring the ROI you get. Uh, Because on some, on a digital medium, you can be like, does someone click on this thing? And then using various digital identifiers, you can see, did someone actually wind up buying my product right. or signing up for something and then you have tv where you know the measures of how you actually measure the impact of this are way fuzzier sure and you have these complex it's a little more- bit more faith which in some ways makes it easier to spend more money and in some ways makes it a lot harder well, which is also the opportunity because i think what winds up happening is if you can fi- by the way one of my arguments here if you kind of think through this is not that metrics are bad is that sometimes the right metric you know uh, is harder to understand and you shouldn't settle for a shallow metric like for example like in the ads world i've seen people often shy away from tv uh more than this because i can't actually measure tv and then you know there are some really savvy advertisers who go and say well actually you know i found this really fancy machine learning algorithm which figured out that if i advertise in one local tv market and i measured like how people went to safeway in that city i was able to measure you you do realize how incredibly funny it is is to be sitting here talking about how oh everyone spends online but really smart people figure out how to spend on tv <laughs> no i think really smart people figure out the right return on investment I, I from totally any medium but can we just can we just acknowledge that's pretty funny given that yes. the entire macro story is the opposite of that <laughs> yes yes right but i think so like, that kind of comes back to like for the but, last 20 years <laughs> right like, I, but i think that underlying theme of we settle for a shallow metric yeah, it kind yeah. of my other points so for example on journalism right uh, or social media we we all work on platforms where, you know, clicks have driven incentives for media organizations. Sure. And, uh, which have led into everything from clickbait to, to you know, uh, uh, to fake news sure. and whatnot. Again, you get what you measure. 
Right, exactly, right? Uh, and in fact, it, and I think, you know, one of the challenges has been like, how do you derive a metric which is uh, that satisfying feeling you get when you read a piece of good journalism? And how do you then align that with a business model? How do you then align that with something you can actually measure because you can't actually say, hey, Sam, you read this piece. Did you actually like it and did it change your well, world? Yeah, I mean, even if you did say that, you'd get a silly answer. Right. Uh, and I think so. that's the other underlying thesis here, which is if you can find a different measure, you can exploit an inefficiency in the way the current incumbents do business. Uh, absolutely true. And I think this is the thing, you know, it's a good thing to kind of, good point to, to push to and, and move towards it. Uh, like, actually, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example, but let me yeah. give you an example on this, which is actually a public example. So I think we can talk about this, right? Which is a few years ago, do you remember Facebook encountering memes all over newsfeed? Right. Yes. Right. Um, and this has been, I think Facebook spoken about this quite publicly, which was like a few years ago, you know, uh, Newsfeed had a bunch of, like people would share memes quite aggressively and memes were really easy to go click on and to go hit the like button on, yeah. but you did not want your entire feed to just be memes. Uh, and then, you know, so, uh, Facebook actually launched a newsfeed ranking update, which, you know, they spoke quite a bit about, which actually tried to figure out, okay, how do we, how much memes do we actually want yeah. in newsfeed? Because just, just because people. The answer is seven, right? <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a magic number. Uh, um, it's always seven. Right. Because there, was a signal which was like um, which didn't actually map the underlying desire which is do I want to see more of this yeah, yeah, content of course I get I, I, I get it I mean let's talk about the, this metrics point because I think this is the thing that I, I when you wrote that post I was like that's, that's a really good way to put let's it bring it Sam bring it no I, I agree with you on this which is I think what do you agree with me that's no, no fun no I do it's going to be no fun at all but I think when I think about a lot of this stuff I'm not sure I buy as deeply as you do the like not having metrics part or the, because I do think that like they're so clarifying and freeing for great organizations and high octane organizations to have. But I do think finding metrics that you can measure and you believe in and you think correlate to value and have a strong opinion about that others fundamentally either can't measure mm-hmm. or willfully choose not to, right? Is like one of the great ways to think about where opportunities are. I think the challenge with that is if you can do it, amazing, right? You just do that right now, build a company and, you know, let like, you know, us invest in it or something because it's amazing if you can do that. But I think challenges often, and uh, in my experience, this ties into like some form of human psychology or behavior that doesn't really map into something you can measure because you just don't have the dials that you can see and to actually measure it as the output of. So you have to fly on instinct, yeah. uh, which is one example. So if you can, you, I absolutely agree with you. If you can find a way to do it, go for it. Yeah. But the challenge is it's often hard so and you have to rely on instinct. I hear you, but then let's put it this way, which is instinct doesn't really scale, Right. I mean, to, to what degree, I, I believe that you can get away with that for a while and then find the metric and drive it. I, there's lots of organizations that have demonstrated that over time. But I just, I, I do wonder, again, like these companies that you're, you're referring to that have strong metrics frameworks, they didn't always, and it's very clear why they did. Mm-hmm. They did to create freedom opportunities for people that worked on the team to give right. them goals, to let the organization scale. Like, what do you do there? So I think... Well, it's a hard challenge, and uh, and I think there are a few ways I've seen. Um, so, did you read Bezos's recent letter on great. the day two company? It's great, right? And one of the things that Bezos talks about is uh, on a day two company, uh, as opposed to a day one company, is they let uh, 
process uh, be a proxy for what a company really wants yes. to do. Right? And by the way, there's a great... Analogy. That was a great letter, by the way. I that was a fantastic letter. Highly recommended. And like, for example, like in a slightly different context, if you look at, say, the recent incident with United Airlines, you had a bunch of employees who let process take over what was obviously kind of the right thing to do for the company, right? Which is kind of the one of, one of the other arguments is making. But in a metrics perspective, I think what winds up happening is you have a bunch of executives, mid-level management, you know, line-level uh, employees who let metrics be a replacement for what the company actually wants to do. So I think I've seen two ways to fix this um, with kind of varying levels of success. One is you need to have paired metrics where you need to make sure there's like one metric yeah. controlling for the metrics need the intention. Yes, absolutely. Right? So, for example, a classic one is let us say you're any sort of media organization which has an ad support business. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that you're also like. In not incentivizing your product people to only have ads on your product. And you need to find some way to control for that, some way to measure are we pissing off our users or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be just time spent. It could be a bunch of surveys. It doesn't matter. You'd have some controlling metric. The other way, and I think this is the one which I've really seen work, is you need a founder or someone who can channel the spirit of the yeah. company um, and who's able to, like, who's able to make a holistic you know, editorial decision and say, okay, we have these numbers, but we are optimizing for a thing which is not these numbers, and then that's what we're going to do. It sounds like you've been hanging out in LA. <laughs> uh, actually, I uh, will say, I mean, I agree with you totally, and I think actually, when you think about, um, I mean, there's, it's not surprising at all to me that if you think about the truly iconic tech companies, they're all led by founder CEOs who have dictatorial control, right, and are able to play that role at a pretty strong level. They're able, and that that also means doing things that are against the metrics because they have a long-term vision, et cetera. And it's very hard. I mean, the companies that don't have that and don't have that cultural and moral superiority somewhere in their DNA that allows them to not just do the metrics all the time, um, they have a lot of hard time, right? Yeah, because we human beings are messy and complicated. We just don't boil down to a bunch of nice change, numbers. change, right? Like, even if you did have the perfect... No metric is perfect forever, right? right? And so even if you do have the right framework for a while, you have to be willing to flex and change that because the environment is flexing and changing, right? And I think it's when you when you just blindly do the same thing over and over and all you do is make paper clips. Right. And, and often, I think, what winds up happening is companies start replacing metrics as a culturally sacred item uh, as opposed to the underlying principle that they were based on. Yeah. Um, and they kind of forget what was the thing that we're trying to build or measure in the first place, yeah. right? So we actually talked about some of this before, which is like, if you have a company which is like predicated on growth, uh, right? And like, you know, every number is about going up and to the right. And all of a sudden you have a product which is about not growing or it's about like capping the amount of, you know, say users or revenue that you can make. It's all, it's really hard because all of your cultural imperatives are around growth. That's right. Uh, and by that's, I think, going kind of tying it back to Tristan, I think one of the challenges is like, uh, like a large scale social media company or media company has the Tristan challenge. Like, all right, how do we then tell our users to use less of us? Yeah, well, look, I do think that the economy, and I'm an ardent capitalist, right? <laughs> um, money's pretty good, right? Like people do vote with money, right? Um, people do, and money is actually the input you need to drive the flywheel to get the best people to do the best things. They need admission too. It can't just be money, but like money's a nice input for that, right? Like, I don't know. It's part of the reason I'm so deeply invested in premium services right now is I actually think in a lot of ways, it gets you a lot closer to the heart of like, okay, like this is the service that people want, right? Um, Must be nice. Uh, well, I think I think also, but know, like, just I mean, that, that's, it's also a good way to incentivize human behavior inside companies as long as you can control for behavior. Yeah, I mean, I think it can't be the only 
metric you use. There have to be metrics intention, as you said, and I think that's the right way to think about it. But, um, but yeah, when you think about consumers, like I think what Tristan, this is fun. Now we're going to have to have him on to, to, yes. to correct us since we're just going to have a franchise around without franchise around metrics. But like, look, I think this is, I go back to, this is the thing I've always took issue with him is not his thesis, which I agree with fundamentally, but the dot, dot, dot underpants. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. Um, for those who, you know, the reference yes. I'm making best South Park episode ever, right? Yes. Which is like, I don't know. I think other than premium services where you are incentivizing people, where people are voting and saying, cool, I will pay you to get me the right stuff at the right time. And I don't want to just be engaged. Um, you know, I, how do you um, I actually, you know, I actually kind of disagree because I actually think human beings have a sense of what's healthy for them. Um, and, uh, in like, and I think we're seeing this trend across multiple industries. Like, for example, think about the move from, you know, where you had a bunch of sugary, you know, carb-heavy foods which are, you know, bad for you over time. And we're seeing this trend of, you know, uh, this entire food industry being taken over by companies which are healthier for you. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear, though. In wealthy markets, in a small scale, et cetera, I agree with the direction, but it's early days. I would argue that the, 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 the peddlers of, uh, of, of sugar have had a pretty good run of it. Yes, but I think... You know, but I think, you know, I am a fan of thinking that people know what's good or bad for them. Let me put it differently. When you read a piece of clickbait journalism, which is like, oh my God, you will never believe where I saw Sam Lesson yesterday, uh, you know, and you click on it and you feel that it is not good for you. And over time, and if you did a piece of like insightful work, you feel that it is good for you. That's a very optimistic read on people. I, I, I want to believe you and I want to agree with you, but I will tell you it is so hard not to click on that clickbait. Ah. Well, well, I mean, there's a reason I literally have my phone stuck in black and white mode, right? Well, I think, you know, I think it's hard, to, it's hard not to click on a clickbait. The other challenge is all of our financial incentives are aligned to click on a clickbait. You can show an ad, you know, that producer can them, get yeah. a bunch, get a check. It's really hard to say, look, I send a reporter off to a foreign country and they spend a year and a half and there was one piece is going to be amazing and how to market. That's often very more challenging, you, sell the you know, but you know, I'm, I'm an optimist, right? You know, I like to believe at the end of the day, there's real value there and human beings will reward you for that real value. Yeah, look, I think it's it's something I I agree with, and I I, I applaud your optimism about, <laughs> and I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, the, I think the internet economy, which is what we both know and deal in, is going to have to evolve. I believe that actually the solution is just more paid services that people will pay for what's they value. Right. I actually think, but uh, I don't. But other than paid services and no, selling I think people attention, selling people's attention to other people, like there there is no other business model yet. By the way, there's a great book out there right now called Attention Merchants from Tim Wu, uh, which talks a lot about this, which is fantastic. I actually think the other alternative is better modeling of value. So for example, like, you know, if I really like you, you know, apart from rewarding you with a click, uh, like what is a better way of like figuring out, does this person have an affinity for this product? Or yeah, but but person- who cares? All I want is like clicks and money. Um, yes, you do, but over a long period of time, which is the reason why like Amazon can, you know, when I had a, when I had like a product not show up on my doorstep recently, Amazon didn't even care. They just sent me a new item sure. because they knew they had no, enough they, data. They have the staying power in the long term. I agree that like, and that's interesting because it's actually an anti-startup theme because it says you need staying power and you need a long-term perspective to deliver value. Right. 
Uh, yes, but I also think, you know, the fact that it can't, you can't measure it that easily and also goes against a bunch of short term incentives. A lot of bad companies find themselves in. It gives you that opening as a startup that you need. Like, but this is a platitude, right? This has kind of been spoken of by like Clayton Christensen when he talks about, you know, building niche industry, yeah. working on niche products, which, and then driving into established incumbents or when Paul Graham says like, do things which can't scale. This, this is not a new idea, right? This is about like doing, you know, this is all like variants of the same thing. But if you can figure that out, it's like, real value yeah. there. I have one other thing we should talk about. Apart from being optimistic on humanity. No, no, it's just something struck me that would be interesting to, to share before I let you have the last word, which is hard for me to do, but I do try to do on this podcast. Is uh, It is actually interesting because I think historically the challenge of the public market has been it locks you into your metrics, right? When you go public, you pick your metrics that so you tell the street what you're going to be held accountable for. And then you're basically held accountable for it. It kind of freezes companies in time, right? Time and space, which I think creates a lot of opportunity for startups. So I wonder when you look at an Amazon, which has been very successful in not making money, more or less, right? Um, and giving the street metrics that made sense, right? Over a long period of time, at least in some form. Um, does the modern behemoth, the Google, the Facebook, you know, the Amazon, um, have they created enough space for themselves as public companies that they can continue to evolve their metrics and stay relevant, right? Or, you know, are these opportunities going to keep opening up all over the place going forward as they have in the past? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think, th- I think it really comes down to the psychology of the narrative around the company. Yeah. So for, for whatever reason, some companies can construct a narrative, yeah. uh, a reality distortion field, like Bezos does that. Yeah. Other companies do that. Some other companies have struggled to do that, where you can say, hey, look, just ignore the fact that we're making, not making a bunch of money now, because we are creating this fuzzy amount of value, which we will then cash in on at some nebulous point of time in the future. Yeah. Um, and as long as you can construct that narrative, I think there's real value there. I also seen companies get into trouble for not doing that. For example, you know, to pick somebody we haven't worked for, I think Twitter actually did themselves a disservice by actually measuring themselves on the people they had logging in, yeah. as opposed to being the sort of measure of the zeitgeist of human attention. Right. Uh, Twitter, for and, example... And can, in fairness, continuously changing what they told the streets matter them on. Well, to some extent, like, for example, like, it's interesting, but Twitter can actually elect a president of the United States, uh, uh, and the president of the United States actually chooses to use Twitter to communicate, but they can't actually find a way to communicate that value, uh, yeah. or at least in the original S1. So it, it's it's a hard game to play, and I'm not an expert on Wall Street uh, psychology, but if you can do it, you know, I've seen Bezos do, it, do a great job, I've seen Mark Benioff do a great job, you know, I think all the founders that we have worked for have done a fantastic job, there's, like, real value there, but I have no no insight on that. Uh, if I did, I would be starting a public company. Dude. All right. Fun conversation. Humans, we'll let's be optimistic about humanity. Let's end on that. I love it. Dude, right. good stuff. Good to see you. Awesome.